Welcome to White Coats of the Round Table, a healthcare podcast where we discuss non-clinical careers, career development for health professionals, and burnout prevention. My name is Mike Asbeck, and I'm here, as always, with John McDonald. John, I'm going to turn it over to you because today is a guest episode, and we're going to have a really great conversation about medical writing, but why don't you give an intro for our amazing guest? Yeah, so today, and I'm not going to screw this up because I have a sister named Megan, but we actually call her (laughs) Megan, okay? So we have today with us Megan Freeland, a pharmacist, who is by trade a pharmacist, but an experienced medical writer by passion. From early on, Megan had a way with words and created her own path to a satisfying career. Following graduation from Mercer University, Megan has been busy. Academia, fellowships, and yes, more than one, regulatory affairs, many healthcare content and communication experiences, but they have formed a well-rounded, knowledgeable individual. Megan has the experience and we have the ears. Buckle up for a great conversation about how you can find a career in medical writing and healthcare content creation. Megan, thank you for coming on the show. Thank you so much, John. It's really great to be here with you. So happy to join you this morning. So, Megan, before we get into things, is there anything that John missed? Anything you want to add to your bio or to your intro for listeners? Uh, I think John got it right. Uh, busy is the correct word. It has been uh, it has been busy and in the best way. So I'm excited to kind of dig into those details some more. And I think the only other things to add are that in the midst of all of all of the professional things that John mentioned, I also have two little ones. Um, so, so that's a part of what adds to that busyness, but what also makes my work uh, really rewarding and exciting. Fantastic. Well, John, I will uh, turn it over to you for the first question. I know you're chomping at the bit to to really pick Megan's brain. Well, we both came from the same area as pharmacists. So, my first question to you, because looking back through everything that you've done, one thing that I noticed that maybe not many people um, pick out is all of your career uh, years that you've been working in different places, uh, there's one that starts in 2007 or 2009, and it says freelance medical writing and healthcare content. And that was before you went to pharmacy school. So my guess is that you've been interested in writing in some capacity even before uh, entering into pharmacy school. Can you tell me a little bit about that and how that even like arranges itself with pharmacy? Because when I went into school, I one of the reasons I picked pharmacy is like, I don't have to write essays. <laughs> pharmacy. And here I am doing content creation. So I want to hear your story. Yeah, that is, you're very perceptive to pick up on that. It was kind of a hindsight is 2020 kind of situation. So in 2009, if you had asked me, oh, Megan, like, are you a medical writer? I would have been like, no, what are you talking about? That wasn't, that wasn't something that was in my mind. Um, that wasn't something that I was... I guess, consciously aware of. But in 2009, I was in undergrad. So you mentioned that I went to Mercer for my pharmacy degree. I was at Emory for undergrad and I had a work study job that was affiliated with Emory University's Winship Cancer Institute, which is like their huge cancer treatment um, hospital. And there was a project 
associated with Winship called Cancer Quest. And it was basically this very in-depth website that provided cancer education for patients and caregivers. There was a segment of that website that was completely dedicated to um, information about treatments. So whether it was like chemotherapy or, you know, symptomatic treatments or um, more holistic treatments, just almost like a database or encyclopedia of treatment. And my role in that work study, study position was to keep that entire database up to date. So keeping up with the latest research, the information that was coming out. And of course, it needed to be written in a way that the patients and the caregivers could understand. So I did that for, I don't remember if it was one year or two years. Um, But in hindsight, as I got further into my medical writing journey, I realized that that was actually my first exposure to not only medical writing, but in particular health content writing because the, the... audience was patient and caregiver audience. So it just goes to show that sometimes you're you're in the beginning of something without knowing that you're in the beginning of something until you get a little deeper in it. Mm. Yeah, I can I can feel that for sure. <laughs> so when you were in school then for pharmacy, I, I want to know what your experience was with the academia departments and culturing this medical writing or even influencing it with any of the students. Did you see any of that in school? Not at all. So one key distinction was that when I went into pharmacy, I went in not with the intention of practicing in the traditional sense. So I didn't go in saying, oh, I want to be a community pharmacist or I want to be a hospital pharmacist. I wanted to be a public health pharmacist. And when I decided to go into pharmacy, I was actually debating between going to pharmacy school or going to public health school. And my mother kind of nudged me towards the pharmacy side, which is how I ended up there. But I went in with the intention of figuring out how to apply that knowledge and that skill set to public health. That's Um, interesting. It was interesting and it made for a challenging journey because to your point about the academia portion and even thinking about faculty and staff support, um, I think people, one, I was the only one. I don't know any other classmates who had a similar intention. I would talk about public health pharmacy and people would look at me like, what is that? That's faculty and staff included. So I think people wanted to be able to help me, but they only knew what they knew. And because they didn't have that awareness of or experience with the trajectory that I was trying to create, there wasn't really much tangible advice that they could provide. So it was very much an experience of four years of charting my own path and just hoping that I was doing the right things and picking up on the right opportunities along the way. Um, and, yeah. and that made it challenging, but also really rewarding because it worked out, but I didn't know whether it was going to work out at the time. Okay. So to that point, we talk a lot about networking on White Coats the Round Table and how important it is to have mentorship uh, peer-to-peer networks or relationships. Now, when you're in school, it's not necessarily something that is pushed or preached at all. So you had to really carve your own path from what you're saying. How did you find those people? Like, how did you find your people in the content writing or medical writing, public health? If you're doing it by yourself, I- I'm guessing you had some guidance. Oh, yeah. I had a lot of guidance, but I had to go outside of the infrastructure that a pharmacy student would normally exist within to find that support and find that network. 
So uh, an example is at Mercer, we had community service requirements. So every year we had to have a certain number of hours of service. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people would go, you know, volunteer at a at a free pharmacy or or something very pharmacy related. I chose to use those opportunities as ways to get more ingrained in the public health space at large. I lived, again, I was in Atlanta, um, which is like a, a public health hub. And so there are a lot of opportunities to get involved there. So I was volunteering at my local women's health center on their health education committee. I was finding fellowship roles at the CDC. I was doing things that weren't traditionally pharmacy, but that yeah. allowed me to meet people in the public health field who could help me on that side. Because I had the pharmacy stuff I needed, right? I was in school. I had the faculty and the staff there. But I needed that network outside of pharmacy. And then when I decided, when I was thinking about postgraduate opportunities, um, my goal was to get back to the CDC immediately. Like I wanted to graduate and then go back to the CDC. But that opportunity didn't arise. And so the next best option for me was a pharmaceutical industry fellowship because I figured if I can't find a public health specific opportunity, then looking at opportunities that are still broad in scope, the way that industry roles are, will be beneficial. And when I decided to go in that direction, it was a similar situation where you need a network of people who are familiar with industry and can who can guide you in the right direction. And so I kind of paired up randomly at a conference, met this woman who had uh, completed a fellowship years ago. It was a two, like two 20 second interaction. She's like, hey, you know, what are you interested in? I told her, she's like, here's my card, call me later. And she yeah. ended up being the mentor who literally guided me through about a nine month long interview and application process for that industry role. So I definitely had to have that network. I don't think I don't think you can get as far ahead as possible without the people who can kind of open, help you open those doors, find the doors, figure out which doors you need to be going in. It was just that the traditional network that's provided within pharmacy school wasn't as useful to me because I had different goals. You did all the preaching for us <laughs> because yeah. if that's not a reason to start networking or at least putting yourself out there, um, your example is great. You went to a conference, you had conversations with somebody that you wouldn't normally have had conversations with. Uh, you reached out for fellowships by yourself and even just having those email conversations, that starts some sort of conversation. We talk a lot about really those who are in the position who are in clinical currently or some traditional role currently in trying to transition out or at least progress their career in some way. I like to talk about some something with pharmacy school or some students in school so they can have a new frame of reference. But let's move over to now the people who are currently in your community roles uh -huh. or in your hospital roles. And maybe they do like to write. Maybe they love journaling. Maybe they, uh, they're very active on LinkedIn. In some capacity, they find enjoyment in posting healthcare content in an arena for other people to read. How do they start at this point? Because they're past school. Maybe they feel like they don't have the time. They can't, of course, can't do a fellowship. What do they even do? Yeah, that's a great question because so many people are in that boat, obviously. Um, one, of my, one of my suggestions is to leverage the 
environment and the setting that you're in currently. So if you are currently employed at, you know, um, a local community pharmacy or hospital pharmacy or whatever the setting might be, identify whether there are opportunities within that employment structure to exercise your writing ability. Maybe there's a monthly newsletter that goes out um, from the hospital or from the pharmacy department, or maybe you um, attend, maybe you have a child who attends a school who could benefit from some, you know, periodic health information written for kids, you know, or written for teachers or whomever. Maybe you attend a church or some other place of worship um, where there are opportunities to share your knowledge in a, I don't know, maybe there's a Facebook page for that place of worship, or maybe they have a um, a mailer that goes out to its membership every now and then. It's really taking uh, taking inventory of the opportunities that are very close to you and around you um, that you might have the relationship with already to, okay. to be able to use that opportunity to practice. Another thing is, if those opportunities aren't necessarily there or um, easily accessible to you, the internet is a wonderful place. And yeah. LinkedIn um, makes creating and sharing information in a professional capacity really simple. Um, I encourage folks to leverage the article and newsletter feature on LinkedIn to display, you know, their their health content that they create. It's a great way to get information out there without needing to like create a website and find hosting and all those technical things that really take time away from what it is the person is actually trying to do. Um, and those planting those seeds early on, it seems small, but it's how you build up that momentum so that more people become aware of your interests, more people become aware of your skill. Because if people don't know what you're interested in or what skill set you have or what services you offer, there's no way that they can come to you for those types of um, services or, you know, filling those gaps that they might have for their um, businesses, et cetera. So those are my two biggest suggestions. So Megan, you're, you're preaching to the choir here. Apparently we're just tapping into your, uh, your location in the South. We're talking about preaching and evangelizing your <laughs> guests today. But for me, uh, one of the things that I've been very focused on in the past year or so is I've been trying to diversify a lot of my consulting and do more medical writing because I don't want to be just the guy that does pharma talks or just the guy that does CME. Uh -huh. And I'm trying to make sure that I'm good and diversified. And one of the things I was able to do to start with that is leverage those internal opportunities, do a couple posters, get those published, start building a, a profile or building a resume. So with that, I think, so first step, someone listening to this is able to maybe find a few writing opportunities within their current job. They're they're able to get some things into their into their resume. What is the next step then for that person when they're starting to look for freelance gigs? How may they go about that, especially if you're a relative newbie where you don't have those rich networks of medical writers to tap into? How can someone get started looking for those gigs once they feel maybe a little bit more experienced and ready to seek outside work? Yeah. Um, I'll back up one step because I think there's something that that comes before the step you mentioned. Um if possible, I think it's helpful to learn as much about the different types of medical writing and health writing that exist as possible. Um, when I was in pharmacy school, for example, I heard medical writing and I assumed it was just kind of one big bucket of, of writing that anybody can do who's a medical writer. If you're a medical writer, you do all these things. 
In reality, there are several different types of medical writing and they can be very distinct from each other. Of course, there's overlap, um, but there are certain skill sets and certain um, certain audiences and certain things that are different about each of them. So if you can learn more about those different types up front, you might be able to narrow in on which types are most interesting to you. And then that can help you tailor those initial opportunities that you're going after a little bit more specifically. It's not mandatory, but it is a helpful step to take if if that's something that you have time to do. Once you do, to your point, Mike, have those kind of initial opportunities down and you're looking for other opportunities, um, there are a couple of things that you can do. All of them involve putting yourself out there. So I'll give that disclaimer up front that you, there's no way around that. If you want opportunities to come to you and people don't know that you are a place opportunities can come to, you have to let them know. So the first thing that you can do is check um, websites like Fiverr, F-I-B-E-R-R, or websites like Upwork, where um, it's sort of like a job board, but specifically for gigs. I don't always recommend these because they can it can be time consuming to parse through the opportunities that are there. I think about it like your local TJ Maxx or Marshalls. You might live in a place where there's like a great one and you can easily go in and find what you need. But also there are some stores that are just like thrift stores, right? And you got to go in there and you got to spend a lot of time searching for the good stuff. And that is time that you could be spent that you could be spending doing more direct outreach. So I recommend those two types of platforms with a grain of salt. But when I was starting out, I found some really great opportunities there. So I can't, you know, I can't deny that there are people who go to those types of platforms. The second thing you can do is um, going back to LinkedIn, you can outwardly, um, you can post information or, you know, I guess post posts that indicate that you are open to different opportunities. So, hey, if anyone's looking for someone to work on a patient education project or someone to support with um, some grant writing or whatever, you know, whatever type of medical writing it is you're interested in, letting people know. Also, if you are following or connecting with people who you already know are engaged in medical writing on LinkedIn, a lot of times freelancers have more work than they can sort of take on at the time. And they might be in a place where they could use some help, right? So maybe they're willing to bring on a subcontractor. An example for me is, um, I think I was freelancing full-time when, not full-time when my first kid was born, but I was freelancing in addition to a full-time job when my first kid was born. I was working in my business full-time when my second kid was born. And so in planning for maternity leave, I knew that there were clients that I had that I didn't want to let go, but that I did want to give myself a break. And so I brought on subcontractors who weren't necessarily super experienced medical writers, but I knew that they had some, at least the bare, the bare skill set needed to be able to support with what I needed. And so I brought on a couple of subcontractors to help with that work. So if you have those relationships or can make those relationships, um, using LinkedIn with those types of people, they might be able to share those opportunities as well. And then the third thing is actually getting familiar with the companies that you want to write for. So if you um, have your eye on something like Medscape or WebMD or Healthline, those are some of the big popular health content publishers. 
follow those pages or follow representatives who work in the content departments at those um, locations because they will oftentimes post opportunities on LinkedIn um, and you can, you know, let them know of your interest, et cetera. So those are the three steps that I would recommend. I'm going to butt in with a question here. I want to yeah. get your hot take on something. Okay. okay. Hot take. <laughs> I see so many things on LinkedIn uh, and YouTube and TikTok everywhere trying to utilize ChatGPT to start in the medical writing career path. Uh-huh. What is your viewpoint of either the evangelizing, Mike, as you put it, <laughs> of ChatGPT to use it in this pathway versus people out there just to try to do a grab? So are you referring to the use of ChatGPT to actually generate content? Yeah. So to generate content, because the idea right now is that you take an article, maybe you aren't great at writing, and but you can sift through the data, you write your own article, and then process it through ChatGPT to make it sound more professional for the right tone, crowd, audience, whoever uh, it, you're public, public, making this publication for. Uh, versus learning how to do the work yourself as just the baseline, I am a writer. Yeah. I think a lot of things about that, uh, John. <laughs> I think first and foremost, there's nothing that precludes a company from using that technology themselves, right? So if you are, if your goal is to demonstrate your value and your skill set as a writer, why would it be the ideal move to produce something that that company can easily produce themselves? The One of the advantages, um, in my opinion, of healthcare providers being health content writers, because that's the, that's the specific group of folks I focus on, not just anyone who wants to be a medical writer or health content writer, but clinicians, providers who want to leverage their clinical expertise to provide patient education through health content writing. The advantage that we have is that we have the clinical background, we have the, the education, we have the skill set, and that needs to show up in what you are creating as a writer. That expertise should be evident through what you produce. So humbly speaking, semi-humbly speaking, um, when I'm creating a piece of content, I know that there is more value in that information than someone who doesn't necessarily have a pharmacist background because I'm literally pulling from what I know through my education and my background. And is ChatGPT doing that right now? Right now, no, maybe in the future, but right now they're not. And so you want to make sure that you're demonstrating what your individual contributions are as an expert, not just as a robot who can shell out an article that, you know, looks cool and is formatted the right way and has mostly correct information, but isn't as useful for the patient, for the person who's going to be reading it. That's not big. That's like number one on that. I won't go into all the other things, but that's like the leading idea. So to, to close that part of the conversation up, what I wanted to really pull out of you was you got to use your personal passions and skills. Like, don't just say... I think maybe I could do this thing and try to go for it because all I hear from you over and over and over again is stop wasting your time with invaluable resources, uh, making sure that you put the right things in the right time. I keep hearing time, time, time from you. 
So it seems like you're someone who just wants to let's find a clear path and go that direction and stop going left and right. Yeah. I think just to add into that, <clears throat> John and I are huge fans of ChatGPT. I think these big language models are going to revolutionize or disrupt white collar work. Just like we saw offshoring of manufacturing had this huge disruptive effect on the blue collar economy. I think we're in the midst of that in our in our world. But ChatGPT is still limited. These AI models are very limited. I actually just used it a day or two ago. I was writing a letter, like a cover letter for a resume, and it was full of errors. I asked it to write a cover letter for a job, and I posted the job description in ChatGPT and said, please write a cover letter for this job. And probably 50% of what it wrote was not accurate. So I think it can be very helpful. And certainly, I think it does a really good job crafting emails. You know, if you ask it to say, hey, craft an email response to this person regarding next week's meeting, great. But as you said, I think when you're talking about really the value for us as healthcare professionals is not just our skill as a writer. There's lots of people that are skilled writers, but rather our skill as a writer and the fact that we have this extensive, deep, requisite knowledge of medicine that we're tapping into to know what key things are relevant and what aren't. So I'd like to transition and and spend maybe a couple minutes talking specifically about the type of writing you do, because I think with that, there is such an art to taking really complex health information and then breaking it down into a way that is understandable and digestible for patients. Now, am I correct? I think we always try for patient education materials. We try and write it in eighth grade level. Is that is that something I'm pulling out of nowhere? Sometimes fit. So can you talk about just how you how you take all this really complex information and then make it into a form that's digestible for patients? It, it, it sounds like that would be more difficult than maybe one would assume. Yeah, it is. To be clear, it is. And I think the, the students that I work with would agree. Health content writing is um, my preferred type of medical writing because I think it is the type that allows the writer, the communicator, to be the most human, um, to really be friendly, to be approachable, to be conversational, and to provide that information in a way that feels digestible and actionable for the person who's reading it. Um, it in case anyone's not familiar with with health content writing, the type of writing that I do is imagine you go to Google and you're like, hey, it's 4 a.m. Breastfeeding baby won't go to sleep. What do I do? The types of articles that come up in the Google search results are often examples of health content. And so it's really direct to patient and people are making decisions based on the information that is that they are reading in those articles. So it's very important. With that being said, if it's four o'clock in the morning and I'm looking for an article and I see something that's written as if it is for a physician or for a pharmacist or for a nurse, I'm I'm going to immediately click away and go to the next link and try to find something that is written in layman's terms that I can understand and act on. And so that's one of the reasons why it's really important to be written in plain language, which I'll talk a little bit more more about in a second, but not just plain language and also in a way that feels like a human to human connection. So the two things that folks have to really learn when they're trying to figure out how to adopt the skill are principles of plain language, which is like using short, simple sentences, using um, a lot of uh, using, making sure that your paragraphs are clear and that they flow well, making sure that you're giving the right amount of background information, using simple words, phrases, et cetera. 
Um, but even if you are writing something in plain language, it's still possible for it to be dry and boring. So where the art really comes in and where it gets really tricky is how to how do you convey the information that you want to convey in a simple way that's also interesting for the person who's reading it, that's also engaging, that's also like maybe fun to read or make the person feel like it's not a chore that they're taking in um, this information. I think especially for pharmacists, and John, you can correct me if I'm wrong, there's this sentiment that, oh, we talk with patients every day. Like it's easy to, you know, talk in a way that's simple and down to earth. But listen, it is not, when you actually try to do it, especially in a written format, it's not as easy as it seems. So it really takes practice. It takes reading out loud. I think it takes practicing verbal communication that's a little more human and relatable so that you can translate those skills to to written communication as well. Yeah, I, I would I definitely agree. Try talking to someone with a, maybe a fifth grade reading level about how they're changing uh, their pioglitazone to Farxiga and what it's just, it's a very difficult conversation to have, especially when English isn't the first language. Yeah. I don't even think you're speaking English. I don't even know what you just said there. <laughs> You're, uh, you speak uh, Spanish as well. I do, yeah. I majored in Spanish, and I'm fluent in Spanish, so I do speak Spanish, but that's it. I, those, those are my only languages. And <laughs> that's Spanish enough. beyond that. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I think you have it down pat. I mean, from, from my viewpoint, at least, uh, you have it down pat that speaking out loud what you've written, my wife has told me many times, John, you write like you think. <laughs> and nobody's going to understand how you think. And that's true. That's so true. I've learned that simple practice of just reading aloud what I wrote and see like, that does sound ridiculous. Let's try again. Yeah. Um, those simple steps of improving your writing skills. And it wasn't a baiting question trying to get you to answer about chat GPT. I truly am interested in, in the people who want to do it as a passion versus seeing as another income source, even though they're not really writers per se. Yeah, I and to that point, I think that health content writing is definitely something you can do just for income. But there are a lot of other things that you can do, I think, a little more easily just for income. And so I try to encourage providers who like really have that writing interest and really have that writing passion to to kind of focus on um to focus on the health content writing pathways. And and maybe if it's just about money, thinking of some other opportunities. Okay. Now that we've talked a bit about how someone might evaluate or at least start getting uh, maybe a network or some publications out there just to start with, if they want to make that step, what are some great resources where they could go and start today, um, start learning more about this? Or let's talk a little bit about what you do um, as a coach and educator in the in this sector. Yes. So uh, unfortunately, when I started out in this pathway back in 2016, I didn't have a whole lot of resources <laughs> that I could go to. Um, like couldn't actually think of one singular resource that was extremely helpful. It was largely trial and error, which is a part of why I started to provide this education um, a couple of years ago. So one great resource, if, if health content writing in particular is of interest to you, um, is a YouTube channel I have called Health Writing for Health, Prof health Professionals. Lots and lots of videos about different aspects of um, health content writing from getting started to 
getting more experience um, to like the actual steps that are important to take. And then um, I also have a, a cohort accelerator program where I take about 10 healthcare providers twice a year and we, we help bring them along the journey to um, becoming health content writers. I think if you are more curious about medical writing in general and just exploring those different types, the American Medical Writers Association is a, a nice professional organization where you can find out about more of those opportunities. There's also a playlist that I have on my Health Writing for Health Professionals channel and also on my LinkedIn that dives in specifically to each of the different types. It talks about um, what types of skill sets are valuable to have, what types of activities you would do in those roles, where what types of organizations you would find those roles in. Etc. So it's a nice breakdown of the different types of, of medical writing that are out there. How do we find that? If you go to the Health Writing for a Health Professionals page and look at playlists, there's a playlist called Nine Different Types of Medical and Health Writing. We'll, we'll post it in the show notes and then also on our website for listeners. So if anyone's looking to find Megan, we'll make sure that all the relevant links are included. And how do we find your personal YouTube page? Is that linked on your account for LinkedIn? It's it is. If you go to my LinkedIn, it's at the very top where it says like binge videos on YouTube or something. And okay. the name of the channel is Health Writing for Health Professionals. So if you just type that directly into YouTube, that is my YouTube channel. So Megan, I've got one final question about resources because I, I love part of this show. I think that makes it so much fun is just really providing this incredible rich network of things for people to access. And I'm a huge fan of the MOOCs, the Massive Open Source courseware. So okay. Coursera, LinkedIn Learning, Harvard, I think has them too, edX. Are you familiar with anything on any of those types of big open learning platforms um, for people that maybe are learning like how to become a better writer, even not specific to healthcare, but just if you need to kind of bone up on your skill set for writing, is there anything out there that you're aware of? There are no specifics that I can um, that I can reference. However, I do often recommend folks who need a little bit more foundational um, education and skills building in writing to check out LinkedIn Learning resources and Coursera resources. I haven't done writing courses there um, specifically, but of the courses that I have done, um, I think they provide really good opportunities for practice and possibly even some feedback, depending on, you know, what type of level um, you select. Also, one book that I recommend is called On Writing Well by William Zinser. And that's another one where if you don't have a lot of writing experience or, I don't know, when you were in high school, somebody told you you were a terrible writer and now you don't know if you can write. That's a great book to get some of that um, foundational writing writing guidance. I think it's a wonderful set list for somebody to start with. Plenty of time uh, for somebody to sift through. And your channel alone, how it's structured from when I was on there, it's very easy to identify what uh, you might be interested in. The lettering on the screen, uh, the subtitling, it's, it's very easy to select ex very specific points. So um, <laughs> I encourage you. everybody to go on there, check that out. Um, and I'll check out that book as well, Mike. I saw you writing that down, so I'm glad that you did that. I'm furiously taking notes, so we'll share them all with our listeners. Beautiful. So I would like to, uh, as Mike always says, bring a little humanity back into our lives uh, to make sure that we avoid burnout. Uh, so you should talk about one thing that we are doing outside of our, our careers 
that bring some life and joy to us. So whether it be something we're eating, drinking, watching, reading, doing, anything that we're doing. So I will happily start off with um, what I have transitioned uh, for this podcast. So I started a bedtime routine, Mike. Now, usually these things are like, oh, I got to listen to this book or I got to do something outside. I am usually not excited about anything routine. I hate routines. I like to fly by the seat of my pants. So on my whiteboard at home, it says 10 p.m. And every time I see it, it's a gut check. 10 p.m. Make your tea, meditate, read, sleep. And I know it's so good for me. And I know it's I know it's so good for me. <laughs> but it's so hard to uh, get the will to do it. So I'm doing it. And every time I do, it, I'm like, oh, yeah, I feel great. This is wonderful. I wake up better, go to sleep more, re- more refreshed, really. Uh, so I encourage people, if you haven't tried making a routine and you stink at routines, try a bedtime routine and include meditation. I've talked about meditation a million times. So, yes, meditate, guys, and sleep well. Uh, that's, that's my recommendation for having a better life. Mike, do you want to give her a chance and you can talk about something that you're doing sure yeah so we don't put megan too much on the spot we'll give you time to think about it so last night i played soccer for the first time in probably six months so typically what happens is i play you know may through september and then in the winter life gets busy so i don't really play a whole lot of indoor so now we're getting into the spring and i played last night and it's interesting because i'm in my mid-30s and I'm still like holding on to some level of my younger self where I can play at a high level in a you know competitive league. So my team that I play with is it's a weird group. It's like there's maybe four or five of us that are in our 30s that have been playing together for 10 plus years. And then we keep cycling through these high school and college players so that we can continue to play at this very high level. But every year, us 30 plus year olds become worse. You know, we're getting older, we're getting slower. So yesterday was a bit of a, an eye-opening moment because I haven't played in six months, so I was a little bit rusty. And I got out there, and either I'm slowing down or the game is speeding up. <laughs> because it was... <laughs> I felt good in terms of my cardiovascular health, but like it's, it's hard getting older because my mind wants to do things, and my feet aren't necessarily quick enough now to do it. So like I'll try and pivot to to get to a point and I don't get there as fast as I think I can and then I get beat by the the attacking player. <laughs> so I still love sports. I love being active, but I'm reaching the stage of my life in my mid 30s now where my uh my declining physical skill set is reaching a point where it's starting to become a little bit frustrating, but still fun. No, well, maybe that's your future career, but maybe you should step out of PA to become a soccer player. You know, I have a I have an appreciation, though, for Tom Brady because, you know, I'm in my mid 30s and I am seeing the decline happen in real life. Now, granted, I'm not training. I'm, you know, playing once or twice a week in a bar league. But to play at a, a high level, at an elite level in the NFL until you're 40 something is just incredible because the body does slow down. You know, 22 is not the same as 42. So it really is an incredible accomplishment. Now. If we didn't give you enough time, that's perfectly fine. Some people don't want to answer. But are you doing anything outside of this uh, crazy work life to bring the humanity back? Yeah, I. Um, you all mentioned that you had caffeinated before this, and I am in a period of uncaffeinating or, or de- decaffeinating. Oh, no. And I have to say, it wasn't intentional. It was actually... Uh, 
a, a random bout of norovirus that my kids brought home that kind of prompted um, this this shift in my in my need to caffeinate. And I realized, you know, it's been a couple of days and I haven't had my coffee and I'm kind of okay. So maybe this is like a good pattern. Um, I was not always a coffee drinker. I did not start drinking coffee until March, 2020. And I quickly cool. went from one cup a day to about three cups a day. And then I was like, oh, this is too much. I brought it back down to two. And I've been at two for the past uh, three years. So I it's it's been quite an accomplishment for me personally, to move through life without daily regular caffeine. And to your point, John, my bedtime routine is now forced upon me because at like 9.45, it's like I took a Benadryl. I mean, I have <laughs> nothing left to give. I have to yeah. go to bed. So um, it's been a fun journey. Well, I will support that because Mike knows himself that I've been doing the same thing trying here. Every once in a while, I'll trip up, but I was going from three cups to no cups, too, and I had to replace with tea, decaffeinated, chamomile tea at work, and people are like, aren't you going to fall asleep? Like, <laughs> Do you remember me caffeinated? Like, <laughs> we are fine. Well, listen, it was a pleasure talking to you. I I think I've said this for maybe 80% of our guests. I would love to have you back on. I, I think maybe we just align with great people, Mike. We just want to have these people on because we I want to say chose selectively but I feel like we have we're on the same pathway in life uh wanting to help other people so it's just encouraging and motivating to see uh everything that you're doing so thank you for coming out of course thank you both for having me it's been a really great conversation and I'm excited to hear hear from some of the other guests that you will have on the show all right well thank you everyone this is white coats of the round table with John and Mike Megan thank you so much Everybody have a great day. If you like what you hear, give us a follow. If you really like what you hear, leave us a review. If you don't like what you hear, definitely don't review us. Until next time, have a great day, everyone. <laughs>